One of the things that I'd like to do, uh, which I just kind of thought we would do now, so this wasn't really planned, but it's hard to be here in person and not want to participate. And, and so we feel ourselves wanting to sing, but one of the things that we can do is pray. And there is a prayer that I would love to invite you who are here in person to pray with me. And if you're online, I would love for you to pray with me as well. And that is just simply the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And it is a prayer that is appropriate in all circumstances. When you wake up in the morning, the first prayer you can pray is, is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. When you put your head down at night, the thing you can pray before you go to bed is that. If you are having an amazing life right now, it's a wonderful prayer to pray. If you are um, feeling like you are in the depths, in the lowest pit of hell, uh, it's a great prayer to pray. So I'm going to invite you, if you're here with me in person, and actually, if you're here online, why don't you just pretend that you're with us in person, and let's stand. So stand in the room here. Stand in your living room. Stand. If you're in your car, don't stand. Um, but let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as a way of centering ourselves around Jesus himself. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your glory come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And I think part of our um, learning and growing with this element of online and, and here in person is how we make this interactive and meaningful for everybody. So we'll keep exploring and experimenting with some of these things. You ever found yourself saying or asking the question, well, what good is that? What good is that? I'll bet there are some of you in this room and who are watching that have said that when you've been thinking about the government guidelines for dealing with this pandemic. They want us to wear masks. Well, what good is that? You know, because we don't wear them everywhere and anywhere. They want us to be socially distanced. Look at the high schools. I've been hearing lots of people complain this week about the high school students because they're outside the school and they're just in groups. And, and we keep asking the question, well, what good is that doing? If we tell them that they have to socially distance when they're in school, but then when they're outside, they just get together and go in their groups. What good is that? It's not going to do anything. And I kind of find it funny because I think, well, they've been apart for six months and they love being together. What would you expect them to do? It's just human response. But we ask the question, what good is that? The CERB, the CERB um, subsidy from the government. You know, some people are saying, well, what good is that? It's still going to lead to bankruptcies when they stop paying it and, and all of that. It's kind of human nature sometimes to look at the insurmountable obstacles in front of us and just to simply say whatever somebody is trying to do, what good is that? Feeding the hungry. We spend millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people hours trying to feed the hungry in our world, and there's still no end to hunger. So what good is that? Coming to church right now in person, 
when we polled the congregation, two things people wanted the most back in the summer when we said, hey, how are you doing right now? And they said, we miss being able to see one another and visit, and we miss singing. And those are the two things that we can't give you right now if you come in person. Well, we can if you go outside. And the response might be, what good is that? It's a human response. It's a natural response. It is an instinctive response when you are faced with a problem that seems enormous. That is so much beyond your capacity to even fathom, let alone do anything about it. What good is that? What's interesting is that you are not the first person to ask that question if you've found yourself asking that. In fact, the very earliest followers of Jesus, a group of people that have come to be known as the disciples or the apostles who spent day in and day out with Jesus, found themselves in a situation where they were facing the insurmountable. And they end up asking the question, what good is that? So I want to read that for you this morning. It's from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. And it's a story that many people are familiar with, maybe not everybody. But Jesus has um, been doing a few small miracles of healing some people. And word about him is spreading. And, and the crowds keep showing up wherever Jesus is. And one day, he is out in the middle of nowhere with his disciples, these 12 followers, and the crowds come out to meet him. And this is like literally in the middle of nowhere, like Feversham or, or Duntroon or, or something like that. And, and they're in a scenario where there are 5,000 plus people uh, it's often referred to as Jesus feeding the 5,000, but that's from a very patriarchal point of view. There were 5,000 men. Yeah, women, children, whatever. But the men were there, and that's what counts. And that's just the, that's the reality of the culture of the day. And we realize um, that we could add many to that number. But I want to read the story for you and just let you follow along in your own Bibles or listen to, uh, to what John writes for us about this account. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. Let me fix my microphone. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, Well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Well, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. 
And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Did you catch that? I overemphasized that line. Here's a kid with some sandwiches. But what, what good is that? And it's interesting that the, these followers of Jesus, these, these men who would become pillars of the early church, they are looking at a situation that to them is insurmountable. And they are looking at it from a natural human perspective. We are in the middle of nowhere, and there are literally at least 5,000 people here, and there's nothing for them to eat. If you read this story in the other accounts, so in Matthew 21, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, you will read the exact same story, but from a different perspective of the, of the writer who's giving that account. And so in the other three accounts, it is the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, hey, dude, uh, have you noticed that we're in the middle of nowhere and these people have been here with us a long time? They need to eat. Let's send them away. And, and you need to do that because they're here for you. So tell them to go away and go get some food or else we're going to be responsible for them. See, they're, they're looking at this scenario that is developing over which they have had no control and it looks like it is getting out of control and they are saying... Do something. Send them away. It is a natural human response to, to look at this, the challenges that we face, particularly when they are way beyond what we can even get our head wrapped around, and to begin to think about any interaction that we might have and say, well, what good is that? What good is that? John's account that I just read for you doesn't have the disciples saying to Jesus, send them away. It has Jesus going to the disciples and saying, hey, have you noticed all these people here? How are we going to feed them? And when you take the way that the disciples responded to the scenario and compare it with the way that Jesus responds to this scenario, I think there's some wonderful learning opportunities for us in this moment. The disciples are looking at this, and, and they're brought with a very small, seemingly insignificant amount of food, and the response is, well, what good is that? And what they're about to discover is when they begin to look at the situation the way that God sees these situations, they realize that actually that is a lot of good, and God can do so much good with such small amounts of what we offer and what we have to give. And they're going to discover that. And so as we move into walking through this this morning, um, part of my goal is to encourage you that when you are looking at uh, the challenges that are in your life, whether it's how do we respond to this COVID-19 pandemic um, globally, uh, as a country, as a province, as, as individual communities, as a congregation, Part of our temptation is to look at it from, from a natural, human, instinctive perspective. And when ideas are being bantered around or there's things that are being attempted, our initial response is, yeah, that's fine, but really, what good is that going to do? 
What kind of a difference is that going to make? And I'm going to encourage you to ask God to open your eyes. To see the way that he sees. But before you pray that prayer and ask God to let you see your surroundings the way that he sees them, you need to understand something. If you see the world through Jesus' eyes, it is going to lead to action. So if you are not prepared to to, to ask Jesus, or if you're not prepared to, to act on what you see, don't pray that prayer. Following Jesus is not, a, is not a spectator sport. It's not about looking from the outside and appreciating what you see. Following Jesus is about saying, show me what you see, God, and then lead me into it. Okay? So part of the purpose of this morning is for you to just consider whether or not you're willing to pray that prayer. Because our initial response usually is to see things from, from just a strictly human, natural, instinctive perspective. And when we want to see the world the way Jesus sees it, we see it in a completely different light. We are looking through eyes of love rather than eyes of potentially fear or, or apathy. So the disciples, when you think about this scenario... There are 5,000 plus people that need to be fed. They are in the middle of nowhere. This is what the disciples saw. They saw the crowd. They saw a huge crowd of people, a sea of people, and they realized there's no possible way that these people are going to be able to survive the next couple of days without having any kind of food. They saw a crowd, a crowd. It was abstract. It was theoretical. It was not concrete, it wasn't definable, and you couldn't really put your finger on any of it. It was just a crowd. And it is so easy to do nothing when we keep things in the abstract and in the theoretical. Yeah, there are lots of people who need help out there. Do you see how that works? There, there's a big crowd, there's a big problem. And it's really, you know, I sure hope that, that the government gets this right. I sure hope that they can handle it. And that's exactly how they are looking at this scenario. They see the crowd, and that's all they see. Jesus sees the people in the crowd. If you look at verse 5, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And it is so subtle that you, you might even miss that. The disciples are looking at the crowd. Jesus sees the people. And when you see things from the perspective of, the, of an individual within that crowd, of the people, the persons, the lives that are within that big, giant, and um, ambiguous thing, it completely changes your perspective. God, help me see the individual the person, the stranger. Because hospitality is loving the stranger. May I not just see the crowd, the, uh, the ethereal, the theoretical. May I see the concrete. May I see the person, the individual. 
The disciples saw only the crowd. Jesus saw the people in the crowd. The disciples only saw the problem. And it was a problem. And I'm glad they recognized the problem. They at least had the frame of mind to say, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a problem looming here. If we don't do anything about it, uh, there's gonna, it's going to be a bigger problem. These people can't survive out here. And, and apparently they were out far enough in the wilderness that, that they were literally saying to Jesus in the other accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, send them back into the town where these people can take care of themselves. Or we're going to be heading back and finding people dropping off like flies along the way. They saw the problem. And what Jesus saw was an opportunity. They saw the problem. He saw the opportunity. Look at verse 6. Verse 5, Jesus says, or we see, Jesus sees the crowd. And then verse 6, in verse 5, he says to Philip, well, how are we going to feed these people? And then verse 6, he was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus saw the crowd and already had a plan in mind. He had a, 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 an action plan that was going to take place. And I just find it so phenomenal that when we ask God to open our eyes to see things the way he sees them, it often moves us from being uh, immobilized and paralyzed by a problem that we don't know how to deal with to an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to, to connect people to the God that is always at work in this world. So as you read this story, obviously we've read it, Jesus ends up feeding these people. And as you follow through the rest of chapter 6, see John has a very, a very um, keen uh, uh, reason of what he's trying to do, and that is to reveal who Jesus is. And when you come to John verse 20, uh, 26, John 6, 26, the people have followed Jesus to the next place. And this is what Jesus says to them. I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Jesus saw an opportunity, and that was to reveal to these people that have been waiting for God to act, they were missing it because they weren't recognizing who Jesus was and is. And Jesus saw this as an opportunity to reveal God to them, that God was at work, that God was interested in what was happening in their lives, and he was doing it by coming in person to be with them. And they were missing it. Jesus didn't just caught up, get caught up in the problem. He saw this as an opportunity to connect these people to God. He addressed their felt needs so that he could also speak to their real needs. And that is often what hospitality does, is it allows us to address the, the felt needs of an individual, which could also be their real needs, but then provide an opportunity to connect them with a God who is interested in what's happening in their world, and for them to know that they are not alone, and that they're not abandoned, and that God is present, and God is at work. So they saw the crowd, Jesus saw the people, they saw the problem, Jesus saw the opportunity, they saw their limitations. And their limitations were, we, don't, we, we couldn't work enough to get enough money to, pay for, or to feed all these people. Jesus saw their potential. 
they come to Jesus and said, well, here's a kid. He's got some sandwiches. But what good is that? We can't feed these people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough energy. We don't have the systems in place to make a difference. We don't have the right things. We don't have enough money. And we don't have the right people. So why bother? All they could see were their limitations. And what Jesus saw was their potential. So Jesus, when, when, you, when you read through this, you need to pick up on this. Jesus gives the, the disciples some instructions. And he says to them, have the people sit down. And then who is it that does the distribution of the food? It's the disciples. Take the food to them. And then when everyone has eaten as much as they want, who is it that collects up the food that's left over? It's the disciples. And then John specifically has a, a number that he wants us to know of how many baskets are left that they collect. It's 12. So in that verse 12, they collected 12 baskets with scraps left by the people. Or verse 13, I guess it is. They collected 12 baskets. Jesus wanted these followers to see their potential. He wanted them to understand what he could do if they were willing. Now, there's somebody I haven't mentioned in this whole scenario yet. It's the little boy. That little kid that's not named. We don't know if they saw this kid in the crowd and they saw he had some food and so they grabbed him and they dragged him over to Jesus. Hey, here's this kid, you know, and... and and we're not, we don't know how this whole scenario played out. I'm often sometimes looking at this and going like, where is this boy's parents? You know, just letting him traipse off with them and go to this strange man who people are gathering around. But they, the little boy obviously is a key part of this story. Did he see Jesus the way that anybody else saw? Maybe he saw in Jesus something more than just what the people were seeing. It might be. Did he see just the crowd or did he see individual people that needed help? Did that little boy see just a problem or did he see the opportunity? We don't know specifically, but what we do know is this little kid came and said, I've got some sandwiches, I've got some bread and I've got some fish. It wouldn't excite me to have fish sandwiches, but apparently in that culture that was good. And he didn't have much, let's, let's be honest, what he had was essentially insignificant and pathetic. And the response of the disciples was appropriate from a human perspective. Well, what is that going to do? There's like 10,000 people here. And you've got a little bit of food that you think is going to help. It just takes looking at things through a new set of eyes. Through the eyes of Jesus. To see the potential. To see what could be. That little boy gave what he had. You know, there's another story in the scriptures in Luke 21. There's an old woman. She's sitting at the temple, and there's a, a, a giving plate, much like the thing that we put out the back, because we can't pass a plate now, so we have the little box back there. And Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, and he's watching people put their money in the thing. And I always loved that. I thought, we should try that sometime. I'm just going to sit at the back, and I'm going to watch you put your money into the box. Wouldn't that be great for, like, you know, morale here at a church, you know, to just have people staring at you as you give? 
Again, there's some cultural disconnects here and everything. I am joking about that, by the way. Um, but this woman drops in two pennies. And there's all these other people putting in massive amounts of money. And Jesus watches all of this and he says, that lady, she gave more than all the other people combined because she gave what she had. That little boy, he gave what he had. And this is the fundamental element of what hospitality is. It is giving what you have. That's why last week I suggested you start with what you have. You cannot give what you don't have. But if you ask God to give you eyes to see the way that he sees, God is going to encourage you to give what you do have. Can you see the world the way that Jesus sees the world? What do you see right now? Do you see just a pandemic? Do you see just people getting sick? Maybe all you see are overreactions. Maybe all you see are people who are way too lax with the rules. Can I encourage you to pray and ask God to open your eyes, to see things the way he sees them, to open your heart and to open your will or your, your willingness to see the way God sees. When you're tempted to only look at it from your perspective, sit with Jesus and just invite him to reframe what you see, to realign what you see. So not only what do you see, I want to ask this, this question, what do you have? What is it that you have? That little boy gave what he had. I suspect it was probably all that he had. He gave everything that he had. Do you think that little kid, let's say it was an 11-year-old boy, had his sandwiches and he was hungry? How hard was it for him to say, here you go. I want to share this with everybody. See, usually what we do is we think about the stuff that we don't want, the stuff that we don't need. I will give that. And I want to encourage you, don't give from your comfort. Give in a way that forces you to trust God. And it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's time. Give your time. If that's what you have, give your time. And give recklessly and in excess. And I know all the responses. Well, you've got to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of other people. And we come up with the most wonderful opportunities to dismiss things because we're stuck looking at it from our frame of mind. Maybe it's skills and you've got skills. Maybe you have skills that are technical and you just haven't told us about it. If we find out. But maybe you have skills. Maybe you think, yeah, I've been crocheting since 1977. I never stopped. Don't dismiss that as insignificant and not needed. If you've got skills, offer them. If you've got time, offer your time. If you have wealth, offer your wealth. I don't feel bad anymore encouraging people because so many of us have been so blessed. 
and given away where you have to trust God. Given away that someone else is going to look at you, whether it's your time, your skills, or your wealth. Given away that people are going to look at you and think, what a fool. Because when you do that, when you offer hospitality, which is giving what you have, God shows up. God showed up in this scenario because some little kid said, here's what I've got. And the natural response was, well, what good is that? And look what happened. We are looking at some scenarios right now. How do we take care of the most vulnerable and the most needy in this situation? As a congregation, we're looking at that, partnering with Out of the Cold, doing various things. We're looking at the mental health crisis that is staring all of us in the face, and we're trying to do something about it. And the initial response is, well, what good is that going to do? We're trying to figure out how to be an online campus, how to be an online church. Why? What's the point? What good is that? Because we think that there's an opportunity and we see the potential that we have to continue to change this world into experiencing the love of God in real, tangible, practical ways that mends relationships and that helps the, the hungry and that homes the homeless. And we see it. And our initial response might be, well, what's the point? Give what you have. And God shows up, and, it, and he touches both the person who's receiving and the one who's giving in powerful, powerful ways. Final thing, when will you offer it? Because your temptation right now is just simply going to be, okay, I'll deal with that later. Please don't do that. Decide now. Talk with the people who are with you right now. If you're watching online, you can do this at home. You don't even have to wait. You can start talking right now because it won't matter. I can't hear you. You're not interrupting. You who are here, you just have to wait for a moment. But talk about it with someone. Don't just put it off. The biggest mistake we make in hospitality is to simply waiting until later or waiting until next time. And then we've missed the opportunity for God to do something amazing just with what we have. Not with what we don't have or what we wish we had, just with what we have. How do you see? What do you have? And when will you act? A little boy, I think, helps us answer those questions. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for watching online. Next week, we're going to look at hospitality and mental health and what that looks like. So... Until then, we'll see you next week.